0: Hey, welcome back. This is episode three of the Mercenary Podcast. I'm Matt Monahan and today we bring on a local entrepreneur who specializes in helping children with disabilities. His name is Matt Hess. Now, he's a longtime friend of mine, but I really came to know his business through some software that we created together. Um, We all know that the healthcare industry lags behind the market in terms of technology adoption, but we found it's like it's a really great time for entrepreneurs to get in and start building. There's a lot of uh, a lot of quick wins uh, that people can do. Um, so here we talk about that. Thanks for listening.
1: Well, I'm joining you guys from New Orleans, uh, Louisiana, right now, where I'm I'm visiting, and uh, because all movies are actually made in New Orleans, which is a fun fact, and not California. Uh, I'm visiting, uh, and I'm also doing some business down here. So. Um, uh, I'm down here for the holidays, but I'm also doing some some meetings about tax credits and all that sexy stuff. All that sexy film finance, uh, tax credits, and budgeting stuff. And uh, I'm pretty excited. Uh, the trailer for The Atticus Institute, which is a film I'm a producer on, uh, I did last year, which is written and directed by Chris Barling, who wow. I hope will be a future a future guest of the show, uh, the trailer should be dropping next week. So uh, I'm pretty excited for that. It's like a, it's a I, conspira I was able
0: to watch this movie without any of the special effects applied uh, about a year ago.
1: And it was still creepy. <laughs> it was zero special effects. Um, yeah. Matt was, uh, Matt was one of the, I guess you're a, a primary. <laughs> it's one of those, whenever you're, whenever you have people, friends who are or filmmakers, you're always watching cuts that are not nearly complete and, um, like, you always apologize for them because, like, nothing's ever done and the music's not there. And, but the, the most important thing is that people can watch it when it's in its most primitive state. It means that eventually it'll be okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I wanted to actually say something about the, the tax credits. And you said, like, that is the reason you're there. That, and you, a lot of movies are getting made in New Orleans because they have such favorable uh, tax
1: situation down there. Um, we well, know a the lot reason, about this. Uh <laughs> we, well, the re- the, re- the reason I'm here is that my lovely girlfriend Vivian is from New Orleans which is why I'm here. But yes, the uh but <laughs> But, but uh, why, why how did you meet? How did you we, meet? We, we met on met on a movie down here that was most likely I would well I would say it's 100% happened because of the film tax credit down here because yep. Uh not why we met, but why the movie was here in the first place um because you know it A lot of times film tax credits represent, or just soft money in general, uh, which is a pretty general term for anything that's a cash rebate or a film tax credit or any kind of money that came from a governmental source that makes up some of the collateral for a film loan. Um, You know, a lot of times they make up between 20% and 33% of a film's budget. So um, California just redid their program, but over the past five, 10 years, New Orleans, Atlanta, and New Mexico have really led the pack in uh, the U.S. So, uh, yeah, there's still it's, – it's a really interesting business. Like, everyone understands that that's why it's happening. There's a lot of – it's actually funny. I sent you a, a picture of the office that my friend Scott is, uh, is working out of, um, which is in this 1800s, like, mansion. And I sent you that picture. I think we actually tweeted it out. Um, and so he's in the parlor of this ridiculous mansion. It looks like it's from like Django Unchained or something. Uh, and he, and he was like, um, he's, he's like, yeah, this house, uh, he's, he's like this house, you know, it's all on the up and up, but we rented it from the bank because this house was possessed, uh, was repossessed. And I was (laughs) like, like, uh, with with ghosts, (laughs) Right, it was repossessed by ghosts. It was, uh, he said it was, he said, well, I forget what he said, but he was like, he's like, yeah, yeah, the bank owns it now. I'm like, well, what, like, what happened? He's like, oh, these guys, um, th- these guys got this loan from, from the, from the state. And they, they told the state of Louisiana they were going to make this into a film studio. And, and they just made it into a really nice house. <laughs> and so they, so apparently there's like this scam where these guys bought this house and they said they were going to make it. Into, it's a huge, huge house, big property. Was it a grant or was it, was it a loan? I feel like they got either a low-interest secured loan or they got a, a tax rebate on basically any money they put into this place, they got like 33% back on or something. But basically, instead of turning it into a post-production facility or a film studio, because I, I walk in there and the ceilings are like 14 feet tall and the doors go up to the ceiling. Like they're like the doors are just like the most baller doors possible. All like the finishes are really nice, and it's like this looks like a boutique hotel. And so apparently the guys like we're gonna scan the state and turn it into a boutique hotel instead of um, instead of a film studio. Uh, But then Scott like swooped it up off off the because the bank was like we're stuck with this we're stuck with this place, and he's like oh I'll rent it from you guys. But uh, I thought it was funny because uh the tax credit in the, the state came under a lot of pressure because people it's like a great example of how people are just like like is this really worth it when people are trying to take advantage of it like this but um yeah because so, i mean it's it's a liability for like some
0: politicians going
1: to be like i don't need this to make me look stupid later um but yeah anyway so that was that was the past week i've been down here um obviously uh that new movie's coming out in in january and we'll have a link to it at the Atticus Institute and and uh yeah that's pretty much it what, what about you so today I think as of today um, we
0: retired um, part of our code base that had been uh, uh, just kind of like a real pain to work with and it was something that we relied on uh, pretty deeply because it, it, it provided a ton of flexibility for our clients to create the you know the, the craziest kind of uh, visualizations uh, that 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 are available Um, and really what it came down to is like people because it provided so much flexibility uh, our customers and uh, the analysts that work with us are really really clever so they find out ways to do things that it it was the functionality was never designed to do and because of that people start relying on that and uh, so we had to like kind of ferret over the last six months we had to like ferret all those out Figure out the things that really were valuable. Figure out the things that weren't, and then um, build support for the stuff we thought was valuable in the the new report builder that we have. So this this past week was the culmination of uh, adding support for all the things that we want that we wanted to have, all the features, and then um, taking away the ability to create new stuff uh, with the older functionality. It was called the composite builder. Um,
1: did you guys have, like, a retirement party or a funeral for the old, co- for the our, old code?
0: Our tech brought in a ton of federal donuts, um, which were delicious. Uh, but we will probably have – there's some more stuff that we have to do to, like, officially rip it right out of the code base, which won't happen for another couple weeks. But we will probably have a party when that happens. Uh, that's, that's, like, a big deal because that, that was created in 2009. So if you can imagine, a piece of functionality was able to last uh, that long
1: yeah which is pretty much like the cretaceous period at this point like that's so long ago in terms of what uh in terms of what has been developed since then so yeah that that's uh you guys should do like a 21 gun salute or something. <laughs> yeah i think we're going to um a power hour we're either going and- yeah. to get a
0: we're either going to get a piñata uh and beat the crap out of that or we might put the code on a usb stick and send it into orbit just blast it off yeah
1: no uh you should yeah, I was never in a fraternity, but I feel like I feel like this is a great opportunity to have like the most fraternity style send off you could have for the code. I, I think having the it's like it's like the, the golden the, the Voyager discs that were sent off to, to find new life <laughs> in the seventies. We should send this to, feel to like, Mars. Yes. Uh, hopefully yes, it never comes back. Yeah. I feel like, we haven't done a drone episode, but I feel like you guys could buy a drone for like 600 bucks and then just send it somewhere. Oh, I, like, I feel like there's a way of doing that. <laughs> um, we had one for but, a little uh, while. I'm not sure cool.
0: what happened to it. All right, here, I'm actually, I'm sitting right next to Matt, who will go by Hess to make this uh, more understandable. I'll be Monahan. Can you handle that, Dan? Yeah, I'll just call
1: you Matt, and then Matt will be Hess. We'll,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll all right, all fun. right. right. <laughs> uh, yeah, Hess. What's up? How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Doing that pretty works. good. Yeah, it works. I'm used to being uh, kind of called my last name. Yeah, I
0: mean, it's this is not this is not Matt Hess the oil uh, magnet. How do you? know? Oh, right. <laughs> but you, you're
1: not you're not the the Hess truck. Actually, right? the, this is the the man who brought you the Hess truck. I am. I, um, the
2: you know, it's been a terrible couple of weeks for our company with the oil price going down, but uh, you know. It's very good right, truck season. That's... We sell a lot of our Hess trucks this time of year, so and, and <laughs> helicopters now. We've diversified into the, t- the helicopters as well. So right, all, all, the,
1: all the toys will offset the
2: two trillion
1: trillion yeah. loss. Oh, but... Absolutely,
2: that's what we're projecting. <laughs> yeah, I hope. So, so, so Matt. Um, so, what do you, what do you do? Yeah, and I'm not actually a Hesh unfortunately, <laughs> but maybe fortunately. Um, I'm the COO, uh, Chief Operating Officer of a company called First Children's Services in New Jersey. Uh, We're a diversified provider of behavioral health, uh, education, um, social service, and therapeutic services for kids uh, with different special needs and disabilities. Um, The company was actually founded and started by my dad in 2009 when he bought an approved private school for kids with disabilities in Fanwood, New Jersey, which is kind of north central Jersey in Union County. Uh, We've since added on in 2011, uh, him and I co-founded a company called First Children Learning Services, which provides various outpatient services for kids, uh, specifically uh, therapeutic services for kids with autism primarily, uh, both in their home school districts, in the community, in their, their own homes, uh, paid for by a variety of sources. And then recently, we acquired another company called The Real Center in South Jersey. It was actually a year ago on December 12th, which gave us a nice base of operations down there. And that company provides primarily uh, kind of more on the mental health side, a lot of um, services for kids with anxiety disorders, things like that. So that is my, uh, that's my day job. Not selling Hess oil or you know the Hess uh, trucks, <laughs> right? And um, I wanted to bring up
0: that for the uh, for children learning services, uh, we collaborated on a app called Connect Kids. Mm-hmm. So, so Den Hess has um, some some of the same experience that maybe not the, the same, exact same experience uh, that you had with. Um, I mean, you've you've created software before. Um, uh,
2: this one has gone. Uh, would you say? fantastically well? Uh. I would say extremely fantastically (laughs) well, yes. No, it's been a really neat thing. We collaborated. um, Basically, what we were able to do was we were paying a good amount of money for a company to kind of do all of our kind of scheduling, uh, tracking appointments when we had therapists out seeing kids and Matt and I with another developer kind of collaborated and created an in-house system like Matt said called Connect Kids which has really been a neat kind of thing. It's allowing us to uh, have all of that data in-house as well as ultimately we're going to be able to bill all of our health insurance claims out in the touch of a button which is going to be an extremely uh, important thing as those can be extremely cumbersome and time consuming to bill out for sometimes small dollars too.
0: Yeah, I'm absolutely fascinated by the kind of the the nitty gritty problems that small businesses like yours have. because I think the, the, the problems that are just uh, universal to all businesses, you know, the, the, the app that we created was basically, it was, you know, there's a bunch of things that uh, there's, a, there's an event that happens and you just need to track who did it, when it happened, how mm-hmm. long it took. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think one of the, the challenges was that it had to be HIPAA compliant. So yes. That, that means there was a number of, you know, different software packages that most uh, companies would, would go to right off the uh, shelf. That we just couldn't. Right. Um, I mean, if, if anyone who's listening is who, who's, you know, thinking about what's the next big software uh, uh, trend, it's just <laughs> a lot of the same stuff that exists as long as it's HIPAA compliant. Or
2: secure, uh, just security. Yeah, or just like security as no. a feature. Like no. that's the reason. What,
1: what is, for the for the layman here, what is HIPAA or HIPAA? HIP, what, what does that mean? I believe uh, I, it stands
2: for Health Information Portability, and practice, or some portability other is definitely act. one of the words. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, let's see. I can look basically it HIPAA governs anyone that has any sort of he- health information. See, health insurance any- portability and accountability accountability act. act yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so, you- right, because basically you're dealing with people's personal information, and so it, it's like an extra layer of security that you're compliant with. Yeah, and it, right. it, I mean the the main thing is, it's just like if you get breached,
0: it's it's real bad. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: yeah because yeah, it's it's not only just you know some social security numbers and addresses, which is bad enough, but it's it's possibly some sort of mental health diagnosis, things like that or, or any any healthcare di- and that can be the government takes that very seriously um, they're not afraid to hand out fines um, and they're usually extremely high so that was a major challenge major hurdle we had to kind of come up with to secure this app when we made it. And I think we were successful in that. What is it with rack? We have a package with rack space. Yeah, that kind of has it all. And they've yeah the they've been end. really helpful. Yeah, yeah. So for like a '90s visualization,
1: because in the '90s, you know, like in Mission Impossible, when he sends the email, uh, it's, it's actually it's, it's actually a, a letter. <laughs> it's it's a letter going to a mailbox. Uh, to give like a '90s visualization on how secure your 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 network is. How many safes and behind how many walls is uh, your HIPAA-compliant network? Or, or how challenging well, I'll, was that? I'll,
0: I'll describe it this way. Um, Rackspace was one time compromised by someone who fell asleep at the wheel of a U-Haul truck <laughs> that drove right into their building. Um, is this that, true? Or yeah, this is absolutely thinking. true. It, it, oh my god! This hap- but, but that this happened. falls under
1: active. <laughs> Anything Uhaul related falls under active. God, no, it was, it was active. <laughs> I feel like that's it.
0: What... It was active gym. Like it was active. some dude named Jim that, or inactive, ina- inactive active, gym. active.
1: active idiot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but it, like, it took down Craigslist. It took down a whole bunch of well-known sites. I mean, it might have took down like eBay or something like that. And people were like, "What?" Like, eventually, all the nerds are like, they're you know, we should, clocking we away.
1: Our... Right, something should we should mirror everything everywhere. It's actually what invented the cloud was was that U-Haul. Yeah, well, there's uh, just land. like something
0: that can invent the business that can affect the business can come plowing through a
2: uh, a wall. A, a wall. So that can still happen. I mean, there's data set. The data centers are everywhere. Yeah, but they have primary experience. Now, <laughs> right They're
0: that they've taken care. They're like, yep, let's let's like, get rid of this. They one. have two walls. Like Media Temple
1: is is in like a, a cave. It's in Culver City. Yeah, yeah. It, it's because really? uh, there's a sound stage right near there we use, and it's actually there. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's I've funny the, the server there too. Yeah, it's like the rack space, which like forget like double or triple redundant like rack space was not even like U-Haul
2: redundant. It was, <laughs> it was, the, it was the issue. Um,
1: <laughs> they needed a redundant
0: center block walls. What they needed.
2: How did they survive that?
0: They, I mean, it didn't destroy things. It it just it knocked some stuff out for a little while, but um, they at least had backed things up. So I don't think anything was lost. Okay, but it just it took down a bunch of sites, and it was just funny because the entire internet was scrambling to figure out what it was, and then eventually they were like, oh. Yeah, a U-Haul hit the. Fine, you
2: know, they probably were like thinking of all these disaster plans of things that could go wrong, and, and that was and not. They on there. never, for once, thought <laughs> there could be a U a drunken perhaps U-Haul driver just driving <laughs> through their 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 facility. Yeah, that's, that's pretty.
0: But that is the cloud. Like the cloud is not actually a cloud. You know, it's it's a, a group of physical servers that exist in a physical room mm-hmm. that is really hot, and um, yeah, big air conditioning bill. Yes yeah. a friend of mine uh, actually sells air conditioners for data centers. Mm-hmm. He is swimming in in business and money right now mm-hmm. um, yeah uh, that bastard
1: he's he's cornered
0: hey he's a nice guy uh, too
1: yeah but <laughs> he's well well speaking of speaking of cornering a market because I think any business that starts uh obviously is filling a need, whether it's your friend with the uh, it's a good it's a good segue uh your friend with the air conditioners for the the server space. When, when your dad started the company in 2009, what what does your business replace, and what was like it before, and what did it replace, and what was that need that you guys saw?
2: Well, in 2009, he actually he acquired an already operating school. Um, so the school up in Fanwood deals with kids with um, severe medical issues, uh, things like CP, Uh, very severe behavioral issues, things like that, or developmentally disabled. So I guess the need is, what happens is a lot of public school districts cannot handle these kids in their own public schools. So as a result, uh, they'll send them to schools like ours where we have the nursing expertise, the uh, tons of occupational physical speech therapy we have a huge uh program for the hearing impaired and multiply disabled so i think dan the need um it's really is it's fulfilling it's it's really taking a headache in some ways off the school districts um in the sense that these kids have such intense needs that they see them frankly as a liability in their own districts that they need they rather would just send them out to a private school um, as far as, you know, again, he, he acquired an existing business. So I don't know if it was, um, you know, it, at the time he had been in the business for 30 years and I believe he was actually representing somebody else who was interested in acquiring the school. They backed out. Um, and he said, ah, I guess I'll do this myself. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how it all started. Um, back in 09. All
0: right. So, um, I guess what did you what did you do yesterday, or you know, what's some highlights from this week right. around um,
2: your, your job? Well, yesterday we had our South Jersey office Christmas party, a big big highlight. We um, you know, had our or did that and some gift giving. But big thing we did yesterday was um, right now we're working on a concept. Uh, it's called a our big thing, and if you really talk to people in healthcare, a big thing right now is they talk about. A navigator. Uh, for instance, if you go to a, a hospital, uh, you'll probably be in, you, you might talk with someone they call their, their health, their system navigator. Basically, someone, it's basically care coordination. Um, so we are in the process of centralizing that process and that functionality within our whole organization. We're going to have our own intake admission department where every single, for all the programs, we probably have. 12 to 14 different programs, all the admissions intakes referrals will come through one central office, our navigator. Um, so yesterday we did a lot of planning on that. Um, and recently we just, um, signed up with Salesforce to do with their CRM package and looking at, you know, how we can, and that's obviously going to be kind of a central part of this navigator, uh, talking to, and Matt, we had discussed earlier, you know, talking how we can kind of connect, um, connect kids to that and how there's overlap there. So that's a major um, initiative for us. We're hoping to roll out um, through the end of the month of January. Um, And the other thing we're really doing, and I mentioned it, I guess, in my intro is right now we've been operating under three different brands. We have the first Children school, first children learning services, and we have a company called the real center. Um, Starting in 2015, we're rolling We're doing away with those three names in some ways, and it's all going to be under the first children's services um, header and logo. We've created a new logo, new tagline, everything like that. Um, So it's been that was a lot of work yesterday talking with people, and it seems like such a simplistic thing as brochures. But you start, you think about that, and brochures and collateral you leave behind, and what messages you want your customers yeah, we have to get entire on them. That's not easy to do. That, yeah. that works on that stuff. It's not it's, it's not easy it's, uh, what, tedious. Right. It is very tedious. So that we spent some time on uh, on that as well yesterday and you know how many inserts we have, where do we break out brochures, where do we have the about so it is tedious. So spent some time on that as well yesterday.
0: Yeah.
2: Well it seems like anytime
1: if you sort of acquired and rebranded three things over five years like there's a history there where each one sort of has their own brand and has their own clientele. It's, it is very difficult to assimilate everything into one message. So that, that's
2: always challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. And, it, it, oh. and again, it's a pretty diversified, um, uh, as far as the types of kids we serve. So again, making that message apply to all, um, you know, making it relevant is a challenge.
1: Now let me ask you, so because I know very little, um, you know I don't have kids. Right. Uh, if if uh, so, how do how do parents find you, right? So how and doesn't in, does insurance always sort of cover your school?
2: Uh, how does it all work? We are as an organization um, totally. We eighty percent of our services are funded actually by public school districts, um, and that's primarily in the state of New Jersey, especially traditionally. Uh, most of these services have kind of been, the funding for it has been funneled through the school districts. The remaining 20 is uh, private insurance and Medicaid. Um, families tend to find us, um, usually if they have a child with autism and the child for our school, um, as an example, and they can't be served in that public schools, uh, you know, autistic classrooms, they'll usually, we have relationships with a lot of school districts who will say, Hey, Go look. Go take a tour. Of first children, um, they take a tour. They like us. We set up an intake, and eventually the the, the child is placed at our school and paid for by the uh, the public school district. Um, other than that, we with our outpatient side that is funded on the insurance end, on the Medicaid end, um, they, uh, we've actually been very successful with actually internet, you know, online SEO kind of marketing. Um, As well as uh, just kind of getting out, you know, a lot of our work is within the autism community. Um, Parents of kids with autism are very active, very organized. They do a lot of great advocacy. Um, The fact is this, and just to give an example, this stuff, we do applied behavioral analysis services for kids. That is just as of 2009, that was when that was first um, covered by private insurance. They finally... The parents got together and for years advocated that this should be a benefit in their health plans and finally got, I believe it was Governor Corzine at the time, to write a law. Um, So with with those kind of programs, I think a lot of it is just, it's word of mouth, it's internet. It's also getting out in the community where a lot of these, again, these parents, again, they're very highly organized and kind of going to the autism walks, things like that and kind of getting out in front of them and really talking with the right people. It
1: seems a little a little harsh, and uh, forgive this question, but is it sort of a product that, because you mentioned that a lot of these schools kind of, you know, hand off these kids who have disabilities mm-hmm. to you. Is it just because they, they can't handle it, they don't want to handle it, they don't have the, the, it's more expensive for them to hire a staff
2: to specialize in, in something, and Is that sort of what it is? Yeah. I think that can... I mean, just just for an example, Dan, in New Jersey, there's over 600 school districts, um, which is crazy. But there's over 600 school districts in the state of New Jersey alone. I think a lot of them are better than others at handling different types of kids. Um, We work... Again, we have our school, but we also do a lot of outpatient work where we go in and we consult with the districts. A lot of them have their act together and they they can handle a lot of these kids in district. Um, others really can't. Um, and and frankly, it is a cost issue um, when you start looking at what these districts have. Um, you know, it's not just salary, but we're looking at uh, benefit rates of forty percent uh, when you and that doesn't include the pension. Um, so a lot of times too, and, and while people may look at our charges and as in the, you know, when they first seem it's like, wow, that's expensive. But when you compare it back to what, um, the public, the school district would have to pay, but you know, by the time they pay salary benefits, uh, pension and then all their building and facility costs, it's actually a bargain. So I think it's kind of, it's driven by both. Um, some just can't handle those kids, um, They're better, some are better than others at doing that. And it is also in the long term, it can be more cost effective to kind of put those kids under the care of a private for-profit or non-profit organization.
1: Cool. Um, Yeah, I was going to say that I wonder if, is it the kind of thing where, uh, so you're billing the school directly and, and then they bill... Like they have a set budget from the state government. And I understand there's obviously lots of different versions of this, mm-hmm. but is it the kind of thing where you're sort of billing through them for different services and they're sort of allocating part of their budget? It's just exactly. Sort
2: of a... Yeah. They have, I mean, in all their budgets, um, we're getting to that season now in March, they all have special education line items or related services, they'll call them purchase services. They have those line items, those allocations. Um, Most of that funding comes from the state as well as um, some federal. A lot of people, you know, a lot of these special ed laws were kind of written on the federal level. And I think the one law was, I forget what the name is, um, forget it right now, but it was written in the 70s by the federal government. And the federal government really pushed it. The states had to do it. And then the federal government never lived up to their their promise of funding the law. So what happened was the states kind of had to take that on, that liability on to fund these kind of services. Um, so, you know, it, it it comes from the state sources, there's special ed uh, line items, and they also, they do have the ability for a lot of like our services, a lot of the school districts are able to bill Medicaid, um, you know, basically bill the federal government for, uh, services like occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy, and they may not get a hundred cents, you know, a hundred cents of a dollar, but they'll get some reimbursement for those services. So it's a, it's a combination of both state, federal, uh, local sources. Gotcha. And
1: besides one-on-one care, and, and it seems like just a more concentrated, uh, like student to teacher ratio, and also teachers who are, you know, uh, better trained and uh what are the benefits of your schools like what what makes them different
2: well i think for our school especially we've we've focused on specific populations where frankly there just isn't a lot of services for them so one of them um is kids with severe you know medical difficulties cerebral palsy things like that um they have you know tracheotomies things like that they have problems just with eating um we have specially trained speech therapists and they're literally, they're specially trained in feeding. Um, it's an extremely dangerous proposition. Um, a lot of times just to feed these kids and we have people that are specially trained for that. Um, which is a huge thing. And we, and as I was saying too, we've kind of got into these interesting, um, areas where there's there, the population is really underserved. So a big, um, thing for us right now is kids with hearing impaired who are who are both hearing impaired, but they also have multiple dis- disabilities, some sort of developmental delay. Um, and there's really, we when we started that program, we, it's grown exponentially because we realized there was really nothing in the state of New Jersey for these kids. So we have audiologists on staff, uh, things like that. I believe in our one school in Fanwood alone, we have four teachers of the deaf. Um, so we're really giving these kids the attention they need. Um, from the hearing impairment issue, but they also, at the same time, have access to the occupational therapist, the physical therapist, the speech therapist, a behavioral therapist that they need. That which really any other setting besides ours really they could not have that access of that kind of that continuity of care in one location. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been I've been fascinated
0: by you know this business because I think that uh, not not like not only autism but just kind of like behavioral and mental health in general uh, is having a bit of a I don't want to say Renaissance <laughs> but it's like people are now really paying attention um, to these you know these disabilities and like you know especially with uh, mental health where you've got you know plenty of people who are, who are depressed uh, like I, I guess what's like seasonally depressed uh, clinically depressed uh, people with Uh, PTSD. Um, and, and really like you, you have a ton of people that have these real problems and are living with them and and, like their experience is is being degraded because they, they have these problems. And I think that now there's like a lot of, uh, money and, and just kind of like mindshare going into trying to figure out ways to, to deal with, um, to deal with this huge population.
1: Because mm-hmm. it seems crazy that for so many years, like specialization is key, right? And it seems like it's crazy for so many years that you know, underserved special education departments and schools, um, you know, uh, effectively were, were treating these kids, uh, which seems as though because I, I just remember I feel like well, yeah, think about when we went to high school, like Plymouth White Marsh did a
0: I think a pretty good job of, of, um, handling, uh, you know, a range of different kinds of disabilities. Um, cause you remember there, there were kids that had disabilities in our, in our classes. Um, and they oftentimes would have somebody that was with them, um, all day.
1: Right. But it also seems like there's probably like five or six kids. Some had down syndrome, some had other, uh, mental difficulties. And it just seems, you know, there's a range you know, everything needs specialized care. So it seems as though to have one or two people without a specific facility in charge of, you know, even six to ten kids, it seems very sort of, I guess, backwards. Or it seems very, you know, it seems... It's it's hard to imagine that they would have been given the best care under those circumstances. But, like, it made sense when we were in school. You know, it just seems... Uh, so I can totally see why having specialized care, as you said, just for kids with cerebral palsy or just for kids with autism. That seems to make a lot of sense to me.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of push too, and and we run up against it and, you know, and I think for good reason, our, our goal as a private school is not to say, you know, we want, we're going to take all your kids out of public school districts and we're going to keep them till they're 21. Our goal is really our job, our reason that we, um, are in business is to try to get these kids in an environment where they have the access to maybe um, more you know lower staff ratios with high with better uh, trained people with yeah, a lot of that's, therapy. That's part of to the get out, back outpatient tradition. thing. Is just well, like that yeah. they can spend most of
0: their time in a regular school with with um, right with and inclusion kids
2: and, and keep with regular yeah you quote just unquote kind of, regular peers and right. yeah. Yep. But again, our goal is not to we don't want to keep these kids for years. Some we will because unfortunately they. You know, for for their needs, they're so severe they likely could never go back to a public school setting. But our goal is always to say, look, what can we do when we, you know, could to get this kid back to a level that he can go back to his regular public school district, graduate with his peers, and things like that. Um, and we cheer those moments when we get a kid to go back to district. That's a success. Um, right. Yeah, that's a. It's it's not. You know, you lose a paying. Uh, you, you lose revenue, but that 's still a success that 's why we 're in business to produce those kind of outcomes
1: now, I feel like i 'm waiting for the obligatory uh, Matt monahan Obamacare uh, <laughs> question um, because it's, there's a few you know there 's a few things with healthcare care uh, I feel like the health care industry, as you said from a technological standpoint is is like is primed to explode right mm-hmm. but it 's also how has uh, the Affordable Care Act affected what you do if it has at all
2: well. I think healthcare, from a technology perspective, and I've heard it and I think it makes sense, it usually lags behind the market, if you will, 10 years. So I think in a lot of ways there's a ton of opportunity for in the healthcare space um, to really kind of innovate on the te- tech side. But in terms of our business, um, the ACA, I mean, and what it's doing is that you're seeing it balloon uh, Medicaid. Uh, the Medicaid uh, population is just getting larger and larger uh, more and more states, I just saw Tennessee now is expanding their Medicaid program. Um, and ultimately, that will be good for our business um, as more and more of these services for kids. Um, for a while, and ABA, the service for kids with autism, it was actually just now starting to get covered under Medicaid. Um, like I said, in 2009, it was private insurance, and just now it's getting covered by Medicaid uh, because there were some actually Supreme Court lawsuits and things like that, but... Um, So in a a lot of ways, it's really good for our business, I guess, on the revenue side. But I can tell you from the employment side, it's extremely challenging. Um, I think it's been a, it's, we had our, for our health renewal, for our staff, it was one of the most challenging environments. I mean, I've only done it five times, but it was a very, we were faced with a 40% increase in our. Uh, insurance package so it's i think for and we're you know we have about 185 employees so we're not a huge business where we can self-insure and take on the risks of carrying health care um, so it's it's a challenging environment from the employment and the employer i guess perspective but for our business it, it ultimately because of things like Medicaid um, there's a lot more services that are going to be covered um, it's going to ultimately it'll be a, probably a net positive for us and we're just lucky because we're in the kind of the healthcare space.
1: Yeah. It's an interesting dichotomy where it seems like if you employ 185 people, you're right in that so-called sweet spot of that sort of small, but sort of, you know, decently sized business that's going to have, uh, you know, going to be impacted by the increase in having to provide more services, but you also just happen to be in the healthcare industry. Right. And so therefore people can, uh, more people than ever, ever can, uh, have that coverage um, applied to the services you guys do? Right. Um, uh, I have a free market question for you, uh, which I think Matt will appreciate. Mm-hmm. But uh, knowing nothing about how you guys uh, sort of charge in the uh, healthcare industry, and this doesn't have to apply to you, but just as a general uh, hypothesis, if um, if you can, if you're, if all the services that you provide are covered by Medicaid or by the public schools um and there's not say for example, like I'm not paying twelve thousand dollars out of pocket. Is there sort of a risk of like price gouging like could you, for example uh could one in the healthcare industry just charge like twenty thousand dollars for one service because it seems because the government's paying for it. Um, and it's not exactly in the free
2: market, how does that system operate? Like, how how do you set costs? Well, Medicaid um, and really any private insurer, they actually have their own fee schedule. Um, You'll go out, you'll try to... And most Medicaid services now, especially in the behavioral health realm, are actually managed by a managed care company. So oftentimes, you know, if we have a Medicaid contract, we're not billing... Sending our bills to washington d c and we're getting a check from the federal government it's usually one of these major um, managed care be- managed behavioral health companies are actually they have a contract with the federal government they set the reimbursement rates we'll try to negotiate those rates um, but for them it's it's a very it's interesting um, it's a very simple proposition they'll go you know uh, value options is a very big managed care company focused on the Medicaid population. Uh, Medicaid behavioral health population, They'll, their value proposition to the federal government or whoever or the state governments is simple: it's a, you know you're spending 150 million dollars a year on this care. We'll take it off your hands. We'll take the risk, but we and we'll do it for 130 million. And whatever we can do, you know, whatever we make off that, that's gravy. Um, so there is a, there, it's price gouging would be a tough. In this, it's a highly regulated field, and again, you're dealing with, um, the, the, the government has been smart, I guess, in realizing that they can offload some of those kind of risks to the private sector, these private um, MCOs that can kind of manage that and set those rates to make sure you don't have people, you know, for our, you know, a lot of our services, if it's a good rate is $50 an hour, you're not seeing people charge 300 Mm-hmm. Um, and things like that, I think, for a lot of years though on um, especially in New Jersey, for the behavioral side as uh, especially uh, people um, for a long time were able to consult they only consulted with uh, public school districts and they were very comfortable making their one hundred and fifty dollars an hour plus forty bucks for travel. It was a nice, cushy rate and what what kind of happened was the um once the insurance and the Medicaid sector kind of came into play, you felt a, a really big downward pressure on those rates. So, in, in some ways, when the when Medicaid when private insurance comes into a market, it actually, I and from my ex, my experience, which is limited to kind of behavioral health in New Jersey, it's actually had a downward pressure on rates. So, rather than you see people, you know, hmm. charging whatever they want, I think no. it's actually had a downward pressure.
1: Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, yes. It's definitely interesting because of the, because of the specificity of that. Like, it, it's I'm not saying what you guys do is is a is a is a niche market, but it's it's definitely mm-hmm. pretty specialized. Yeah, definitely. And so it's it's interesting to to see. I'm always fascinated by just the ecosystem of healthcare, of how rates are set, how how that's that's followed, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty fascinating. Well, it's yeah. crazy. Uh,
0: yeah. Well, speaking of free markets, uh, I wanted to kind of. Talk about Russia, and uh, excellent. <laughs> so <laughs> healthcare to Russia, I like it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm like, what what is going on? <laughs> um, I don't know. You, have, Dan, you have any any opinion on uh, on Russia?
1: Yeah, I mean, in turn, are you speaking to how the ruble has sort of has lost forty eight percent of its value at the time of this recording in the past week? And the, I think sort of, I think something I think something's going on that is more than um more than
0: just the fact that that oil is uh has 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 dropped in price i think yeah, I, mean, I think it, it seems like the timing is is pretty uh is it, pretty close to the fed wrapping up quantitative easing um meaning they were like they stopped printing money and i think that that is having effect on where people are putting their money um i think that the fact that the fed has been you know doing quantitative easing for the last you know five or six years uh has it may like you know that money may have gone into things like oil futures and you know like bidding up the price and that now that that's gone you're seeing this this you know artificially inflated oil price uh that now these countries have like severely relied on uh when that's going away you're seeing these countries uh like venezuela and russia start to collapse because of that
1: yeah, I think it's a perfect storm in many ways, and obviously my understanding of this is is limited, but that doesn't mean I won't speak on the topic anyway. Oh, please do. Uh, uh, but for me, uh, it's a perfect storm of the sanctions, which I, although people usually think the sanctions are pretty worthless, and although um, I do think that you know it's always a big game of diplomacy and chess you know, people see sanctions and they think they're pretty weak, but I do think they've had a little bit of an effect on Russia. I think that's the first part of the of the storm. The second part is I read a pretty interesting article. It was I think it was the leader in The Economist from last week that was called Sheik's versus Shale. And what's really interesting is OPEC's uh uh reaction to just the the billions of dollars that are being invested in shale oil in the United States and There's an interesting uh, thing in in that article that I think applies to Russia is that basically OPEC has sort of figured out what it costs the shale oil producers to produce a gallon of gas. And I I forget exactly what it was, but I think it was around $57 a a, 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 a barrel of oil. A barrel, Barrel. right, right. So if that costs $57 a barrel they've been trying to react to the market value or just the um uh the amount of new oil drilling and the the amount of of new wells that are happening in the United States by trying to drive the value of oil down so much ...that it just doesn't make it profitable to to open as many to start a new venture or... ...because apparently a lot of the shale oil people in the U.S. are very over leveraged. Mm. Um, right, so they so, can't go uh, many months without with just, just right. producing, yeah. Right, so basically the OPEC has driven the value of oil down... ...I mean supposedly so much so that they're waiting... ...they're trying to like... they can ...they can wait it out because a lot of their wells have already paid themselves off... And they're they're a very mature market, whereas the U.S. oil is very young, and a lot of those people are over leveraged. And so OPEC's trying to uh, sort of destroy and just like play the long game of waiting out the low oil rate to see how many U.S. wells go go yeah. belly up. Mm-hmm. And Russia is getting like it's just getting boned by this because Russia's on the sideline being like, well, like, we're, like if you can imagine, like they, like you know suddenly their economy's in free fall because OPEC's like playing a game with the u.s and so i think that's a big part of of it uh unintentionally um so that mixed with the sanctions mixed with you know europe's uh continuous development of other energy resources but that's that's sort of like my take on it
2: and i i do think i i don't think it was necessarily an artificial bubble of the price i just think what you've seen is um you know there's the supply in the market has gone up gone up so much because the us drillers mm. have gotten so good at getting you know getting this oil out of shale which for even in 2007 they mm-hmm. had no idea that this was possible at least economically feasible to yeah. do um, and the drilling technology that's really been amazing um I think yeah I like what Dan was saying if it's fifty seven uh, you know a barrel to get it out of the ground it's probably very um, accurate in the sense that you have you have this huge kind of there's some very small drillers out there that are so levered that they are you know like you said they might have four months or they have to stop production or they can't pay their loans I do think there are a few bigger um, outfits out there like there's a company called Continental Resources which has a lot of drilling in the the Bakken in North Dakota as well as I think it's the scoop in Oklahoma um, I had at one point because I'd looked at their stock, looked at kind of so I dug into their annual report i looked at that they look their cost of getting a barrel out of the earth it seemed like it was about 40 bucks but that's a big company with scale and things like that so i do think for certain outfits it's still profitable but i think this was in no uncertain terms opec it was a shot over the bow of u.s oil because they suddenly were not the only game in town and now they're seeing the market kind of start to flood and the, the golden ticket of the U.S. oil market for them is is likely over for the long term, given the advancements of shale technology, fracking. Whether it you know, whether it's uh, environmentally sound or not, the fact is it's been effective at producing oil and natural right. gas as well.
1: I think OPEC gave up on the U.S. If they're smart, they gave up on the U.S. probably around 2011 mm. or to, which is when or 2012 when. But really, everything's as as always is always about the BRIC countries and it's about India and China and who's going to be, um, uh, you know, supplying their oil uh, for years to come. Right. But yeah, in terms of Russia, it's interesting. I feel like the sanctions mixed with the plummeting costs, mixed with a few other factors, are are causing a lot of problems. Um, Matt, what do you? What what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I I do believe that you know. There is a
0: you know, there's reactions to an increase in supply. I hadn't heard the um the 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 OPEC uh, explanation that you just gave. I think I think it's actually pretty compelling. That it's, it's just like you know what? Because I, I the one thing I did hear was that Saudi Arabia uh, was not going to um, restrict any of their uh, production, and that there were some countries that were upset about that, and I can understand why because it's just like okay, Saudi Arabia is pretty psyched to just. Uh, produce everyone you out of business market. yeah well everyone else is like wait no no wait <laughs> we rely completely right. on this and we can't we can't operate our country um, without like uh, expensive oil
2: mm-hmm. well, I think it been... I'm sorry I think Russia It said that they need oil to, to basically balance their budget I think oil needs to be 98 the low end to 110 well, a barrel the one question so... I have is
0: like what the hell was going on when oil was still 70 dollars a barrel that wasn't that long ago,
2: you know?
1: Well, I I don't know if it's inflation or just, I mean, honestly, just just an untenable situation. I mean, um, I don't know what their inflation was before or what they were looking at. But if if they were looking at $100 a barrel to to balance their budget, then um, they just sort of bet wrong, mm -hmm. I guess. Or they just sort of, they were just hoping for a better hand than they they were dealt. And um, And also, it was working really well uh, while it was that high. Right. Yeah. Um yeah, and and uh it's it's been a pretty fascinating week I think for a lot of things economically. Uh yeah, obviously the Cuba decision that came down yesterday. Um it's funny. I know a few people who oh, and I love Cuba. that. I love that. <laughs> well, I mean, but it's, it doesn't really matter anymore. It's such a it's such a weird artifact or it's such a weird it's like once in a while you hear a story about some law that's been on the books for like 120 years that like gets like some murderer off from the charge <laughs> you know it's like some law it's like well it's illegal in nebraska to eat pickles on a sunday or something and that's sort of how i think like they call cuba that, that's how relevant to me cuba is at this point right. um uh that would probably anger a lot of people in south florida but <laughs> like to me um you know it's like why do we i mean obviously you know once a dictator always a dictator but in terms of Uh, the trade arrangements with Cuba um, it's about 11 million people it's about I heard that uh, in terms of what they think our trade would be with them it's probably about what our trade would be with the Dominican Republic so it's not really a big game changer but to me it just seems like why why not do
2: it it's another
0: it's another tourist destination I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to go
2: I'd love to go to Cuba I think that'd be yeah it's probably beautiful you know, t- talk about, I think, who was it? Anthony Bourdain went there in one of his episodes, in um, Parts Unknown or whatever it is on CNN. That was really cool because it's such a, it's a place that they literally, like, all their cars look like it's from 1965. Like, they're yeah. totally living in the past. And just apparently the, he went to a restaurant and eating out is such a odd concept there. Like, there's very few restaurants because people are just, you know, it's just so different i think it'd be very neat it'll be interesting to see how this kind of how long it takes for uh cuba if it you know if more and more americans people people start going over there and their event you know and there's trade and things like that how long it would take for them to kind of modernize if you will um it'll be yeah if anything it's a giant experiment right i mean it's it's a yeah, huge... like
0: how many ford fiestas
1: uh are going to be sold um and Just, yeah <laughs> yeah but i feel that there's a huge hipster population who's dying to get <laughs> the cars from cuba
2: that have been driven oh my God. Been yeah that's i'd that's like true. them to go to cuba i think that would be the better um scenario yeah but if, if you can't afford brooklyn you go to philadelphia. <laughs> you, gotta, if you can't afford philadelphia you go
1: to cuba that. yeah yeah that seems to make sense um but yeah the funny thing is you can always go i've i've a few friends that went to cuba recently um And they made a joke like they were being smuggled in. But really, you know, you've you've always been able to go. um, And technically, like, I have a British passport, so I feel like I'd be able to go through, like, flying to, like, London and flying to somewhere else and then flying there. But – and I think NYU even had a Cuba program that they, like, tried to talk about in, like, hush-hush tones. I don't know if they still have it because Marcus – Matt, if you remember Marcus uh, we lived with, he he went to Cuba. And – it's just weird because like you can you can go if you can kind of figure it out, but it just seems as though um, yeah, from a I, trade perspective, like no one could get in or get out. I I know, it's it's a very weird. I know situation. a guy
0: that his his passion is to get into um, as many countries that, <laughs> that we have terrible relations with. He keep on. He's Jewish and he um, was determined to go to Iran. I think he went. He went there. Um, he went to Cuba. He went to North Korea. Segway. <laughs> yeah, I was ready. Yeah, <laughs> yeah actually, now that, we're, now that we're talking about North Korea. Um,
1: so, we just kind of punted on that one.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> kind of screwed, screwed the pooch. I,
1: I, I wouldn't say punted. I would say, you remember the Super Bowl where where like Peyton Manning got sacked in the first play and there was a safety? And everyone freaked out because Vegas... No one oh, thought yeah. that the safety was going to happen on the, <laughs> the first The one play. guy bet it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's the one guy. <laughs> Paid out millions. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying that like the chances or the odds were the same, but I feel like that's the level of suck uh, to me is... Um, I mean, I don't know. It's it, it would absolutely suck. And I don't think this would have ever happened. But after the guy shot up the the movie theater in, in Colorado, like anything is possible. But I, I don't think that anyone would have bombed a movie theater but obviously if that would have happened it would have been would have been absolutely awful but from a principal perspective um, even though it's a silly Seth Rogen movie and a lot of the movies i make too are, are, are very silly i'm not insulting him but a lot of the you know even though it's a, it's a silly comedy it's almost a spoof movie if you allow anyone to intimidate you to not release uh, a work of art or not release anything editorial or opinionated it sets a really bad precedent yeah and um you know what if you had a film that um that muslims or a film that uh that extreme christians or a film that someone else or some group of people found offensive and and well i mean bought... i
0: mean they, they blame the benghazi
1: uh thing on on that one stupid movie that somebody made well, no, no, for sure, but and again, that didn't happen in, in this country, and that's obviously a, another whole issue. Yeah. Uh, the innocence of of Muslims. Uh, uh, movie, but yeah, it just sets a bad precedent where suddenly, you know, it's like you can always go back to if you call in a bunch of bomb threats and you threaten something. I just think it kind of goes back to the Larry Flint. I'm paraphrasing him, but uh, in in the People versus Larry Flint, like I, I, the message that I came from that is his thing was if someone like me who's sort of a sick pornographer can have free speech like that's really important because Mm. ultimately if someone who's a sick pornographer like me has free speech it protects people who really need it yeah and that's sort of how i see the seth rogan movie (laughs) is so it's yeah yeah
0: if seth rogan is is being uh is being silenced then like well, they yeah and they what stopped all, going they had
2: stopped they um, stopped all press for it and then it was what the next day they said it was done yeah
1: yeah it's I mean it's tough like knowing sort of how these things work a little bit um, you know Sony pulled it but really they had no choice because uh, NATO. Uh, not the NATO that is the NATO that we know, but there's another NATO mm-hmm. which is great, but it's like the National Association of the- of Theatrical Operators. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, NATO. Because so I saw it, it's like NATO has has banned the inter- or NATO will not screen the interview. And I was like, okay, all right, that's fine. <laughs> it's sort of a useless operation yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, it's like it's like the United Nations has they will not screen. And so, but NATO, which is the other NATO, once they sort of because I think what happened was there's like seven major studios. And I think what happened was the other studios were like, "Well, you have to pull this movie to the theaters because if you don't pull this movie, I have my big release on Christmas. I can't, I can't get drugged through the mud, or my movie can't suffer because you're showing this other movie. And there's the tiniest of tiny chances. Yeah, people don't, don't gonna... want to go out just because of that right. movie.
0: Because people, right. a lot of people go to the movies on on Christmas and." Yeah, some of them might be just like you know let's let's watch netflix
1: uh right well no for sure so i think that the i think nato had a lot of pressure from the other studios to pull the movie and, and once they did that sony really didn't have any choice and so i think um and uh yeah it's, it's just fascinating it, i think it's a very watershed moment
2: for for my industry but don't you think that ultimately though this this movie could be bigger than it ever could be now if they went and they put it on demand. Now, it's now we have to see it. Well, yeah, well, right. Everyone's well, going to want to see it. You know,
1: in, in some way, I think, and it's not, I, I agree with you that like, for, I wanted to see the movie originally cause I thought it was just sort of, I, I cause basically I wanted to see originally if they would pull an Inglorious bastards where you know, at the end of that movie, like they, they kill Hitler, which is like the one thing that you're not expecting. Right. And, uh, I wanted to see in this movie and, and of course, spoiler alert, cause there was, uh, there's a gawker thing where uh, the hackers released, <laughs> they released the end of the movie where apparently Kim Kim Jong-un uh, uh, or whatever, yeah. Yeah. apparently he dies in, in this awful way, <laughs> yes. which is, unless, have you guys seen the clip? I heard where about the, it. I heard about yeah, it. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen it. Apparently he like, he like a missile gets shot into a helicopter he's in and his like face melts in slow motion or something, which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> And there's this whole email chain, apparently, where Seth Rogen is, like, yelling at the studio boss, and he's like, he's like, if it's not extremely gruesome, it's not funny, which I agree with, because it's like, if it's not, like, the most absurd thing possible, it's not a joke. But right. anyway, um, but, <laughs> but apparently, I was curious to see it, just to see if they would do the inglorious thing. But, um, yeah, in some ways, the problem is the movie costs uh, $40 million, which is a decent amount for... It's not a huge amount, but. Yeah, I mean, how much did Pineapple Express
0: cost? Let's, let's be honest here.
1: It probably cost about, it probably costs around 25 or $30. I don't know. Um, but the most, the bigger thing is, is the PA, which is the marketing budget. And so to me, which we won't, unless they get hacked again, we won't know this. Uh, but to me, it's like how much of their marketing dollar had they spent at this right. point? Because if they put up an extra $40 million in marketing, which sounds about right already for this, They're eighty million dollars in. They're not going to recoup more than they put it on demand. Right. I don't see them recouping more than like ten to to fifteen million dollars. That's that's a good
0: point to make. Is just like I think there's a sentiment among the market that uh, you know you could probably just put everything on demand. Like like what do you even need to, to do the theatrical theatrical release at all? And what you're saying is like that's still a major right. part of the the money they recoup is from that first the money's you know, made in first the weekend, right. say, for, you know maybe the first three weeks.
1: You know for sure, especially with a film that was sort of deemed for the the time of year it was released on Christmas, it was sort of deemed an event comedy really. Because if you look at Neighbors, which did big numbers earlier in the year, there's only a few people, and I feel like it was tracking to do tracking as well. It's like the it's the term for you know all the people who go out. The studios hire people to, to conduct interviews with people, very much like when you do a test screening of a movie to learn what it's doing. Tracking is when you go out beforehand and you find 300 people in a mall and you ask them, have you heard of this movie? And so the awareness level via tracking was pretty high on this movie. Um, huh. An interesting comp is a movie called Snowpiercer. Have you guys seen that movie?
0: I haven't, but I haven't um, that, no. one of the guys at work today was was raving about it.
1: Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um it's it's an independent film. Um there's a lot of recognizable faces in it, but it's a big independent film. And um it 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 came out in theaters uh and it did like five million dollars in theaters, which is not a lot, but it's still something for an independent film. Uh but it did like seven and a half on demand. Like it really it's one of those things where it really found an audience on demand. But again, like you know, you're still looking at like twelve million bucks. It's not like and again, that was a sort of a small movie, like that's Dean like a small movie success story, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really interesting movie. It's like this post apocalyptic movie on a train. Um, there's a lot of social weird issues going on. There's a lot of uh... it's.
0: It's like I mean, do you, are you familiar with the the plot of this? No. It's like there's a. post post apocalyptic. There's a train that is running at all times that has like the last remaining like, pieces of humanity. And it's just circumnavigating
1: the globe. And the globe is just a giant, like, you know, ice ball. And... <laughs> it's actually great. They, they tried to solve global, like, basically they tried to solve global warming. And in doing that, they, like, fucked up pretty badly. <laughs> and, like, they shot, you, you know, like, during the Olympics, like, China controlled the, the rain or whatever. But basically right. the whole plot is they shot rockets like that on a mass scale. And it, it, they, they did it so much that it actually cooled the planet way too much and and then you're stuck in this, like, ice age, and...
0: But there's this socially stratified train where there's just, like, the people in the back are riding coach, are, like, you know, the, the lowest class. Right. And then the f- people in the first class are, are, you know, riding high, and they're in the front of the train, and it's just, like, the people in the back are just, like, you know what? We're going to the front.
2: So it's like modern-day air travel.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like modern-day air travel. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a lot like flying Delta. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's the whole thing is this rich guy had this train and then there was a huge stampede of people and like a thousand poor people made it on the train and they've been living there and like breeding for twenty years while the rich people live in the front. It's 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 actually oh pretty mind blowing how they came up with this. It's really interesting. It yeah. sounds um, it
0: sounds like you have to really suspend disbelief to watch correct. this movie.
1: Well you do, but I think once you buy the fact that these people could be on the train and it could be going, it's really interesting because as they the, it's in the trailer. It's not really giving anything away, but basically the the people, like the coach passengers, uh, rebel and they decide to take over because they feel like uh, it's like the right time to do so. Um, and so they basically make it. Eventually, they make it through all the varied worlds that are on this train. It's basically like a train that was that was made by like a Richard Branson type guy. Um right. and so there's, there's, there's like a, there's like an aquarium car that just has this weird aquarium. It, 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 visually, it's a very stunning movie. That sounds um, pretty
0: cool. I might watch. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, but anyway, the whole point was that that movie was released on demand. It found an audience, and it still only did like eight million bucks. And so, like, really, I think Sony understands that the interview is going to be a complete write off at this point, and their biggest concern is minimalizing their marketing loss. Because I'm not sure how that's billed for them, if they're billing it like from this quarter for like they want to pull as many ads as possible and get that marketing dollar back. But it would be sort of a badass move if they just released it for free and said, like, screw you, like this movie's everywhere, right. And you can't like you can't get away from the fact that you your, your leader, uh, dies in an awful way in this movie right. like that if they if they had
2: balls that's what they would do but yeah well
0: it's, all, it's also I mean you know, Team America was was uh, a pretty big joke against Kim Jong-il yeah right. and
2: Saddam Hussein was in it everybody I mean that was
0: yeah well, one of my guys at work was, was talking about how ridiculous Saddam's character is in the South Park movie right <laughs> like, like Saddam yeah, Hussein dies goes to hell and is has
1: a, a homosexual relationship <laughs> with Satan for the whole movie. (laughs) that's That's a very good point you brought up, though, because that part of me is... Although I know North Korea has been trying to hack and they've been trying to develop hackers. Because of all those other movies that make fun of different people so much, I can't believe that this movie... Like is this movie really the straw that broke the camel's back? No, not not at all.
0: <laughs> so that's why
1: I still think it's like some hacker, like in his mom's. Yeah, it, I think it's it's pretty it implausible
0: that it, it's uh, North Korea. Yeah, or, or no, it has to be right. Like, like a
1: Saudi uh, I had employee. a friend. Yeah, right. It's like Sony. Sony was like, we have a shit movie. How do we get out of of this? Right. And they're like, let's pretend that we're. Ha-. I mean, that's like the big. Right. That would
0: be like, so. Like they've done so much damage to their company by doing. No, yeah, like, I know that can't that's be the true. Big, no, here I, I, I gotta give you like this. This is completely unrelated, but it's it's a very similar uh, conspiracy theory uh, that I came up with. Which you know, you know how much I love conspiracy theories. Um, of course. So this one is is regarding the NSA. Uh, what if, what if er, uh, Edward Snowden is actually an NSA operative? And he, what he did was pretend to release all of the sophisticated, all these sophisticated things that the NSA is capable of, but they're really not capable of any of these things. All they want is for us to think that we're being surveilled at all times. Curiously enough, this is the exact plot of 1984, <laughs> um, which I've, I've clearly drawn plenty of inspiration.
1: But what if that's true? What the, obviously with anything, qui, qui bono, are you, are you saying that, like, everyone behaves better because they now think that the NSA they're is watching watched, everything? Man. Yes.
2: And
0: they also... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll uh, deal
2: with the protest on the mall and everything like that. We'll, you know, just the behavioral they Yeah. I mean, that's what happened right at, at the end
0: of 1984, uh, after they extracted the confession, um they just they went to all the places where he, that he said that he was saying the things that were you know dissenting and then just placed cameras and microphones and just were like oh well we had microphones here all the whole time so we were collecting all this evidence we knew everything you, that you confessed to and that's ex- exactly i mean they, if that could be happening like i you wouldn't really be able to know like cuz i started thinking that when i was just like wow the nsa is doing some really impressive stuff i didn't realize you even could do this now it's probably more likely that they're actually doing it, but I just thought it was entertaining to me that that would be a really, really clever strategy that would is clearly working. You know what yeah. I mean?
1: Yeah, I, I feel like you always have to look at stuff, and it's like no matter how ridiculous an option is, you have to cancel out all other options that are proven incorrect, and then whatever you end up with is probably the truth. You know, mm-hmm. so it's uh, I w- I wouldn't be too surprised if if um, I mean there are many different not theories but there are different scenarios where you have someone it's like if someone is going to leave the company in any business and do something uh, there are different techniques where you you look at that person and say okay um like if they're going to leave like how can we spin this you know how can can we feed them disinformation before they do before they do so um I wouldn't be surprised if it's a version of of that kind of thing mm-hmm. I mean I think I haven't read to be fair i haven't read the full snowden uh uh packet i read i read the cliff notes version uh so i haven't i, I don't have a complete opinion but i yeah i, I mean neither have there's... i i haven't
0: read like any of this <laughs> it's
2: um it's an interesting theory though Matt. it is a very know? interesting theory
0: yeah I'm all, i also really love agent aliens i love that i think that's a... <laughs> it's one of the most entertaining shows i've ever watched
1: uh, there's a thing in Interstellar which isn't ruining anything, but I would mentioned to Matt. But whereas early on in the movie, one of the themes is is like is preserving mankind as as a as a race and as a as a people of of doers. And well, it's one of many themes in that movie. But early on, it's revealed uh, because uh, somebody has like an old textbook or tries to bring in an old textbook that has the old moon landing explanation. And in the future, it's revealed that the moon landing was actually an elaborate hoax by the U S government in order to convince the Russians to spend all of their money (laughs) on going to space. Uh, and then hence the Russians like thought we landed on the moon and therefore they went to space and, or tried to go to space for 20 years, which eventually because they couldn't do it, it wounded their pride. And then they had to invade Afghanistan, which then further, uh, bankrupted them. Um, but I feel like that's a plausible, that's a plausible conspiracy theory, you know, that's a plausible, mm-hmm. like, at least geopolitically, that makes sense to do it, sure. you know? Right. I mean, uh, I think Neil deGrasse Tyson's
0: uh, re- re- retort to that would be that it, would, it was just, it would be harder, it'd be easier
2: to just go to the moon <laughs> than to keep that secret. Right, with all those people who worked on that program yeah. not talking. <laughs> It's like the same thing with the chemtrail people. It's like, do you really think that all the airline workers... Yeah, that is absolutely... We have have a
1: big chemtrail episode coming up. Like, don't we can't, we
2: can't... can't. (laughs) (laughs) Joe Rogan has had several
0: chemtrail episodes. Yeah,
2: it's amazing how many people are just completely convinced that that is (laughs) what, you know, it's the government or whatever. My
0: my favorite chemtrail story is is Prince's chemtrail story and he actually,
1: what's, what's Prince's chemtrail story yeah, he was just is, like you is... know
0: like around like 5 does it, does it
1: end with Purple Rain <laughs> yes <laughs> yes this is actually the inspiration for Purple
0: Rain it was chemtrails but he was just like when I was a kid around 5pm you know you'd see all these people you know coming out of their houses and just you know just being
1: kind of angry for like no reason well, he, he's, he grew up in Minnesota. I mean, at 5 p.m. in Minnesota, it's freezing. Right. Like, a- everyone's going to be angry You've about it. You've been that.
2: freezing your ass off all day. I mean, that's... So, yeah. yeah, that was his explanation. He was like, people were just kind of
0: pissed off. You know, it's the same time every day. And it's like, yeah, well, it is the end of the work day.
2: Yeah, end of the work <laughs> day. Freezing your ass off Right, And hours. he was
0: like, I think it might have been chemtrails.
2: Oh, God. Yeah, I, I, I,
0: I, for one, believe him.
1: That, that's a good... Uh, <laughs> So yeah, I think before we were talking about one of our our phrases, you were mentioning uh, like bike shed conversation or um, like the McDonald's argument or I forget what I was talking about for for film, but there's something that I've been doing for a while, uh, which I find is kind of funny, uh, but I never had a term for it. And I call it two birding, uh, the etymology of that being in, in two birds with one stone kind of thinking. And um and birding to me is there's a lot of scam artists uh in the film industry and people there's always like somebody always has an uncle with like two million dollars they want to make a movie with and or somebody knows somebody who um they've been successful in some other pursuit in life, but now they just wanna make movies because that's obviously really fun and easy. And um and so people always have these people and they, and they you know, they always I guess it's sort of like snake oil, right? They they're always uh a lot of times they pitch you stuff or they they call you out of the blue and they're like oh uh my my cousin who's in who has a friend in Russia has all this oil money he wants to get rid of and and a lot of times well, I well, know yeah, when wow. we were when we were 20 I mean we heard that a lot <laughs> yeah from from a from a certain person who will remain nameless but that's a, but that oh, person is, okay. but that person who will remain nameless is a great example of this so a lot of times uh when i have someone like that so two burning is when you pair up yes. one, one of those people <laughs> with a second person who's like that. And you're like, "Well, I can't, you know, I can't. You have your friend who uh who has 12 million and million and they need to transfer it into my account tomorrow and that sounds like, these these people are human 419 scams,
0: meaning the uh Nigerian prince that is willing to wire you 12 million million dollars for safekeeping as long as that you pay the the uh, twelve thousand dollar court fees,
1: right? So, uh, yeah, the four nineteen scam is when someone uh, there's a guy who is from New Jersey uh, who called himself Danny Famous, and um, and he was like, uh, he's like, so, so guys, we have we have like a hundred and twenty five million dollars right now, and um, it's all ready to go, but you just got to give me like, you know, a hundred and twelve thousand dollars for the lawyers, and if, <laughs> and if we get if we get that tomorrow, because the window is the window is closing, guys. I mean, like. I want to close. They don't call me the closer for nothing. But and he was, <laughs> we were just like, they don't call you that. Like, he's <laughs> like, no one calls you anything. No one calls you back. Uh, but so I like to pair two burning to me is is when I like to pair someone like that. I'm like, you know what? Um, I'm just too big. I would love to take on 112 million dollars, but I, I just closed a, a 500 million dollar deal. Like, it's <laughs> that's too small for me. That's too small for me right now. And but you should talk to this guy. And I always like to try and pair up people like that, and just hope that they will just like self destruct themselves. <laughs> so <laughs> that's just—it's just really just wasting people's time. Yeah, no, it's but it's kind of it's kind of fun. It's like if you have somebody, you're like that person will never make a movie. I would love to have both
0: of those two people on. on a so call. those people exist. These people exist. There's oh. far more <laughs> of them than you could imagine.
1: These people absolutely exist. But I feel like they exist in any in any industry. And I was going to ask you, uh, Matt. Do you have people where I feel like the equivalent for you would be like someone who always like they want to make an app or they want to well, do something yeah
0: the people in my industry are the ideas people you know they're the i've got a great idea, but I just need someone to develop it and there there's probably about you know there's there's probably about one in in twenty or thirty that are actually like people that have great ideas they they can have access to capital and they really just they just need someone to to
1: um you, know, you just need to hire hire a contractor to, to execute on that idea right you you like, like develop it like that's everything like someone to actually like to actually bring this to life and actually have the plan and the yeah, roadmap. well like, like that's like that's like almost everything I've
0: had yeah I've had clients and like you know what it, it used to kind of just be that and, you know in the last you know five years it, it actually it, you would say well you know that's all that's purely the execution and, and that you're punning to just somebody else and That used to be the case, and nowadays, it's more the marketing. Like the actual tech to make an app is is gotten to the point where it's like it's pretty easy to make a lot of the stuff that it used to cost you know hundreds of thousands of dollars to make uh, even five years ago. But nowadays, it's just like because of that, there's a lot of like pretty good apps that come out very regularly, and and really what what makes or breaks them is how they're marketed.
1: And so there's like ten thousand apps where. There's ten like like quick bids or whatever. There's ten thousand sites or apps that are like you can buy stuff very cheaply. And I feel like there's yeah. like lots of those, mm-hmm. and they all seem like a scam. I mean, there's
0: right? a there's ten thousand photo apps, and um, it's not that hard to create a photo app anymore. So it's really just about like what's your what's your angle? Like Snapchat, <laughs> like the difference between you know the Instagram clone uh, that's worth absolutely nothing and Snapchat, which is worth whatever. Eighteen billion dollars or whatever
2: it was are. in the marketing, getting it, you know, in the hands of people that used it. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I, people I like... people always ask like, what is, why is WhatsApp so valuable? And WhatsApp is extremely valuable because they actually spent the time to create uh, apps for feature phones. And the problem there is that you have to create a different app for you know every kind of feature phone. And I guess they started at the the most popular one. And went down until they found they had diminishing returns. But what that meant was that their app was able to connect people who don't have smartphones in developing countries. And it was mm-hmm. connecting them to people who were adjacent to them. Meaning like maybe they were in a country that was nearby that, and, and they had a you know, relationship with this person, maybe their family. Um, but they did have a smartphone. So they they were able to connect a whole bunch of people that were just completely left out of any other messaging app. Because before WhatsApp... The the actual technology for the smartphone version of WhatsApp is is like completely um, generic uh, compared to you know Kick, um, you know any any of the other different messaging apps that are out there. And the one thing they did different was they went after a market that no one else was going to go after because it was just it's difficult. Like that that actually was was hard to do.
1: So I imagine in your industry too, burning would be someone like who keeps calling you. Like imagine there's like somebody who has no real talent. But they're yeah. I mean, um, that, I, I get emails from people who are just like, "We have this great idea," and and, and they always they pitch the idea, and it's usually terrible, right? Um, they're, like, they're like, "We we've been domain parking for years," and I think we finally found uh, we finally found a great domain, and we have a bad idea to pair with it. And <laughs> you know,
0: that, a great domain with a with a, a barely like mediocre idea is is a good
1: business model. I feel like a friend of mine and I'm totally destroying their idea. I can't remember who it was, but they domain parked something like yesorno.com or something. Yeah. And they were like I want a site that's Tinder for shopping. And it compares You hear a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. it's that's what I, it's like it's like 90s movies pitch. It's like it's like Die Hard on a submarine. It's <laughs> It's It's
0: Uber for healthcare.
1: It's
2: Uber. Uh, Oh, the Uber for healthcare. That is the ultimate. Yeah, it's it's Uber for pizza. It's a Uh, doctor in an Uber. (laughs) Right. At your door now. Yeah, there's Uber for everything. That is like the classic. Yeah. Yeah, Uber for healthcare. Yeah, so to pair
0: those, to two bird uh, those kinds of people are the people that, yeah, you just get two people together. You're like, you know, let's just have a great conversation. You know, you got an idea. You know, this guy's got an idea and uh, maybe we can kind of have something out, you know, something can come
1: out of it. And then you just run in the opposite <laughs> direction. <laughs> you yeah. leave the room. Then you let them, yeah,
0: and then eventually you just, you get an email back from both of them Just like, that guy sucked. He, he just, all he talked about was uh, his idea.
1: <laughs> that, that's two that's identical a, that's a, emails. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good point of Bernie. Eventually, they, they will uh, collapse and then come back to you. But, <laughs> but at least you get six months of peace while they're just hashing it out together. Yeah. But,
0: uh, I, I remember just asking, like trying to, you know for stuff that i was either working on like offering equity and only equity is absolutely absurd and like i and i i'm guilty of it myself but it's it's just like yeah we got this great idea uh we're going to get funding uh we just need you to build this thing and um we're going to give you you know we're going to give you 10% of the company that's it like no compensation nothing and people actually thought that, that was like <laughs> That was like a legitimate way. That was like that actually was worth it for people. Like if you're if you're uh, you know a developer that's worth their salt, uh, you're going to get sizable equity, but and then like
2: a A ridiculous pay package as well. I mean there you know there are people out there who are willing to do that. Owning seventy percent of something that's worthless doesn't do you any good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just like there are so many. The thing is, even if you've got a great developer, they made a freaking awesome product. And your idea is solid. Like you're,
1: you're like ten percent there. You know. Right. Well, right. It's like insane market saturation
2: is a whole topic for a different and, show. Where I does, feel like. Where does luck come into play too? I mean, Just get there. being in the right place. It's the right it's time, there, but I I you know? I
0: mean, we always say, you know, like you know, luck is where uh, opportunity meets preparation, and you can create new opportunities. So you can right. you know create your own luck. And I know that you know. I think that the you know the marketing team and the execs at at RJ are, are particularly good at that because um, there's we're just, we just we have opportunities like out the wazoo, and right. we're we're very prepared. So yeah, like that it phrase was, is
1: from your side business, which is creating an app that just has those motivational posters out that, the wazoo, <laughs> the wazoo, like, <laughs> and it just has motivational posters of of hold on uh, hold on. I, I gotta say fuck
0: real quick because uh, we gotta maintain our explicit.
1: Uh, Rating on iTunes. I, I think I think I
0: said it. Um, <laughs> all, right. all right. Well, well you on, get you on, still on, get one.
1: On, on on that note, I think we can wrap it up. Uh, <laughs> uh, well. it, was, it was a pleasure. Uh, thank you, Matt Hess. Air to the Thanks, Hess Dad. Truck. Hess Truck Fortune. Yeah.
2: And. um... Uh, Everyone, go out, get their truck, get their helicopter for their kids. It's going to help with the you know the price of oil. So please <laughs> go out immediately.
1: Right. The people driving to an actual physical location that has the Hess trucks will help consume. We do oil. extremely well then. Yeah. Right. We, both ends. Yeah. Right. Uh, Matt Monahan, we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Thank you. Dan. Bye. This is Dan Clifton. Thanks for listening to the Mercenary Podcast. If you'd like to ask myself or Matt Monahan a question via audio, you can always record an audio message, maybe just use QuickTime on your computer with your internal mic. You can send it to mercenary at toprightcorner.com. We may play it and answer it on the podcast.